Welcome to BIV Today. We're the daily business news podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. Is the government addicted to real estate? That's the conclusion from Paul Sullivan. He's a senior partner at Burgess Collie Sullivan and Associates. He's also presenting his research at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade Housing Forum this week. He's going to break down all the fees and the taxes that are embedded into the cost of a new unit of housing in the city of Vancouver. And he's going to break down why it is that maybe the government's just a wee bit too dependent on all the taxes it's raking in from the real estate sector. Meanwhile, we're going to find out that Canadian professionals are awful at unplugging from the office when they go on vacation. That's according to a new survey from Robert Half Canada. Mike Schechtman from Robert Half Canada will explain why we can't seem to stop checking in on the office and what professionals can do to get some peace of mind while they're on holiday. But first, here's Paul Sullivan. This Friday, the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade is hosting its annual housing forum. I'm moderating a panel actually on the truths and myths in real estate. I think that's going to be a fun one. We're covering the real impact of foreign capital speculation and tax policy. And our guest today on the show is one of the panelists who's going to be speaking to that last piece on taxation. Paul Sullivan is a senior partner with Burgess Colley Sullivan and Associates, and he has been analyzing and calculating how much taxation and how many fees are built into the price of a condo in Vancouver. Paul, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Why did you want to look at this in the first place? Give us some, some backstory to this. Well, I've been an expert in property taxation for some 26 years. And uh, when the Board of Trade came to me and asked to speak at the, the housing forum, uh, clearly I had an interest in, in the effect of uh, taxation on housing. And uh, hence I got deep into the numbers. And uh, I, th- I don't think the public is quite aware of, of the cost that government has on the price of housing in, in our region. Is it similar to when we look at the prices at the pumps and we kind of break down the taxes there that it just added upon, added upon, added upon all these additional costs? Maybe break it down for us a little bit, just what kind of costs are involved that are added on here. Well, let's talk about just really what, what we're talking We're talking about market value here. What, what our residents have to pay for a home. And home prices are primarily built up of three things, land value, cost, and profit. Land value is something that we all know uh, because of our extreme constraints physically, geographically, continues to go up. Land's gone up in value for four decades in a row. There's no controlling that. We have a supply-demand problem there. Profit is controlled by the marketplace, and, and, and it's always at a stable level because otherwise somebody will, will, will win a bid over another. The big item that we can have some control over is cost, the third component of market value. And cost, surprisingly, uh, includes a substantial amount of taxation and fees. And so when you look at the specifics of what those costs are and the, and the government charged on a home, we're talking about property tax, vacant home tax, CAC, development costs, levies, development permit fees, speculation tax. I mean, it's endless. There's, there's a dozen taxations on home. It's equal to 27% of the purchase price of a home in our region. 27%, wow. That's high. Yeah, like, so as an example, we're talking about $260,000 on a unit that's under 1 million bucks. Right. 
That's a high percentage. Can you give us a sense of maybe what that percentage might have been five, 10 years ago? Has taxation and costs been on the rise? Absolutely, everything is on the rise. I mean, we're, we're, we're increasing PTT. We're, we're introducing three new taxes in the 2018 budget with the NDP government. In fact, this 2018 budget with this, this, this has, has brought in an additional 20 to 30% new taxation on the price of our homes. Government is the most identifiable, the fastest growing cause of the increase in housing costs in our region. I recall four or five months ago, we were speaking to economists from the Business Council of British Columbia, and they had pointed out that if you add up everything that the economy depends on with regards to the real estate sector, that can involve, say, the construction industry, financial people, just realtors as well. It adds up to about 37% of the BC economy. And I'm wondering if, in your opinion, we're growing too dependent on what this industry is right now and whether the government is just too dependent on, I guess, the taxation that they're getting from it. Uh, absolutely they are. And, and in my view, they, they think that by taxing real estate, they're going to change the marketplace. They're going to push down the cost of housing. I think they're suckering all the people in Vancouver and British Columbia. That's just not how it works. I can look at every taxation that's been introduced in the past 20 years in our region and that causes the market to pause, the market recovers because of our high demand, and all these new costs get embedded into the price of homes. So they think taxing, the way, taxing people into affordability is the answer. It's an absolute farce. I guess the big question I have then, if we're looking at 27% of the price of a house going to or the result of taxation, where is that chunk of money going to? Is it going to address affordable housing? Well, you know, that, that's what I, I keep wondering myself. And we, 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 we are paying so much in taxation, and yet we, we aren't supplying a market. Our, our affordability problem is on the rise. That the real problem here is we have, on average, 30,000 net people coming into Metro Vancouver per year. We're only building 20,000 homes on average. We have a significant deficit, and they think taxing us is going to solve the affordability problem. That, that's ridiculous. I mean, this is about supply and demand. We need to create density. We need to create it on transportation corridors. We need to be brave about it, and that they are underzoning all of our, our, our major thoroughfares and they're, they're, they're contributing to this affordability crisis that way as well. Furthermore, they're taking forever to get permits approved, and they're putting so much bureaucracy, red tape, you know, new building code requirements. All these things are adding to cost and time, and they're not creating housing. The only way out of this problem is more housing, not taxation. I think a lot of municipal politicians, especially when they're looking up at the elections that are coming up in the fall, uh, they're, I guess often succumbing to a bit of the nimbyism that goes on. A, a lot of people don't want to see towers sprouting up across their particular neighborhoods. I recall speaking to John Horgan when he was running in last uh, election back uh, a year ago. And I was like, well, is the province going to intervene if municipalities aren't going to do so? And he insisted that they want to work with the municipalities here. I don't know if we have any real solution at this point. What would be, I guess your answer to this if we have a lot of reluctance from municipalities to introduce even more density to address this issue? Well, I mean, let's, let's be specific. Let's take a, the Canby Corridor as an example. You know, we, we, we're, we're up zoning that, that, that corridor to allow some density. 
and, and then they put a, a building height limit of eight, ten stories in key intersections uh, along along the transportation node. If if you're going up six or eight stories in my backyard, what's the difference between going to twelve stories? You've already you've already in, encroached on people's views or into their privacy. Additional density to, to help solve this problem is, is, is not an issue. There's industrial zoned areas. We can start to talk about mixed use development where we bring in commercial development in conjunction with residential development in non-residential areas currently. Let's do more mixed use. Let's encourage commercial growth and, and provide housing where people can work. Look at, look at False Creek's Flats. Why, why don't we have higher density down there? It's not backing on the single family residences. Some of the newer taxes we've seen either at the municipal or provincial level seem to be aimed at curbing speculation, at taxing foreign buyers in the market, and and not necessarily aimed at trying to influence the price of housing. But it's clear that maybe one of the consequences is the fact that the the price of a house goes up. Do you think that some of these taxes are at least having a a positive or intended effect at what maybe they're designed to do, which is to try and curb speculation from the market? Well, you know, the the, the foreign buyers tax, there's just not a lot of foreign buyers in the development sector here, which I'm talking about, creating the density, creating the homes. So so that's not going to create any revenue for the government. This new school tax, the most probably egregious one out there, it applies to five, ten million dollar homes on the west side of Vancouver. Nobody considers those properties affordable now. They won't consider them affordable when they're worth twenty or thirty percent less either. Why are you taxing those properties? Taxing your way out of this problem is not going to work. You know, you have to create supply. So I don't know. Maybe uh, I'll float this idea out here. Let's say we do create supply. Do you think uh, that would create uh, more density, more units per you know square mile within the city? Do you think the city could then, I guess, justify to itself that revenue that it's getting from taxes wouldn't necessarily go down if they're increasing the number of units, but reducing the number of taxes that they're putting on each of those units? Since, of course, the density would be going up. Yeah, I mean, already every municipality in our province treats rezonings and new construction as new property tax revenue. When when they calculate their budget increases, they deduct from that first the new revenue from new construction. And yet we still see three, five percent increases in property taxes on existing homes every year. There's a real opportunity for all levels of government to create new revenue through growth, new construction, rezoning, and Frankly, it's shocking that we have any municipal budget increases given the development contributions to the tax base as it is. In the short amount of time we have left, Paul, the the theme, as you know, of this year's Housing Forum is taking action. Do you have any recommendations around what actions you think should be taken by government as it pertains to taxation and as it pertains to trying, trying to bring about more supply and create more affordability? We need every municipality to pre-zone high-density, mixed-use development zones in their communities to create fast permits and significant units of development. That's what needs to happen. There you go. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Paul, and I look forward to seeing you at the forum tomorrow. Pleasure. Thank you.
That's Paul Sullivan. He's a senior partner at Burgess Colley Sullivan and Associates, and he will be participating in the Greater Vancouver Board of Trades Housing Forum tomorrow. That's Friday, May 25th on the second panel, which I'm also moderating. And stay with us. We're going to speak next to Mike Sheckman all about why Canadians can't really unplug even when they're on holidays. Canadians, turns out we're pretty bad when it comes to unplugging from our work life when we go on vacation. More than a third of us spend our holidays checking in with the office. This is according to a new survey from Robert Half Canada and Account Temps. So what can we do to get away from this dependency on our phones, emails, and voicemails? With us today, it's Mike Sheckman. He's Regional Vice President in BC over at Robert Half Canada. Mike, great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tyler. So what is it? Why can't we really help ourselves from checking in on the office when we go on vacation? Is there just something wrong with us? Why don't we want to go on vacation that much? You know, work-life balance has become a priority for many employees, uh, but just finding scheduling time to actually go away is becoming just difficult. I think people at the end of the day sometimes feel guilty about taking time off. Uh, I think the, the expectations um, to, to excel in a position uh, is at an all-time high. Uh, and the economy is robust. So I think people are having a, a, a hard time and difficult time uh, just unplugging and taking time off. Yeah, I mean, w- what's that like for you, Haley? I mean, have you had those issues just checking in on work while you're on vacation in the past? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's because things are ongoing. Sometimes, and I think a lot of the time, it's just a force of habit. Yes. <laughs> Which is one of the problems. Yeah, like every morning you wake up, uh, check your emails before yeah. you get out of bed. You want like, to know what's going on. It yeah. seems like a small thing, but it can have a big impact, I think, on your peace of mind and it keeps you locked into work mode as opposed to vacation mode. Mike, you mentioned expectations, and I'm curious whether it is acceptable in this day and age to really go and fully unplug from the office for a week or two at the time. At a time. I, I think it's a, a extremely important to, to do that. I think that uh, it, it's all, it all stems from um, leadership, by example. And I think if, if a manager uh, shows how important it is to unplug and and take the essential time to, to recharge the battery and just bring a fresh approach to the business uh, and projects and challenges that come up. Uh, it's, um, you have to, to take that opportunity to do so. Uh, but, but people are having a difficult time with it. I think especially uh, millennials, they tend to avoid uh, or to be avid users of social media. So simply just looking at their phones uh, more often, uh, you get those that work pop-up uh, message that comes up and it's like, Hey, I, I'm going to take a second or two to to reply to this. So it's uh, it's a challenge. Everybody is always wants to be in the in the know, and uh, it uh, becomes a difficult uh, uh, for a lot of people to to really un- uh, to truly unplug. Well, you brought up millennials and how they're maybe having a more difficult time unplugging from just those work priorities when they go on holiday. And I, I wonder if it's kind of maybe part of the overarching reason why it's just, I mean, is technology simply making it that much easier for us to be in contact with the, with the office versus, you know, 20, 30 years ago where you would have to, I don't know, send a correspondence while you're on vacation in Spain or else, you know, dial like way long distance or something like that, where it just wasn't as practical as it is now. Yeah, you got it, Tyler. You know, baby boomers experience uh, work when cell phones and emails didn't even exist. 
they had no choice but to disconnect. Uh, and when you do that, you truly feel refreshed and recharged when you return to work. Uh, therefore, you know, you just you consciously choose to unplug on vacations uh, today. So I, I think it's um, there is a direct correlation between uh, between the two. And when you got your phone, uh, you know, when you walk out the door, the three things that you look at is your wallet, your phone and your keys. And um, it's uh, it's always uh, when it's by your wayside, it's, you know, you're taking a peek every uh, 30 seconds. Um, you know that that work email is going to pop up just as often as any uh, social media site. What would you say individuals can do leading up to vacation to ensure that they actually have peace of mind, that they've remembered everything and they've delegated everything? Because at least for me, that's sometimes been the case. You've forgotten something, there's a loose end, and so you're checking your phone, making sure that it's covered. Yeah, so I, I think it goes down to a couple of things. One is uh, from from a, a management perspective, you want to sit down with your manager and, and have a, a plan, especially if, a, if it's a longer uh, vacation that's planned and you're truly going to plug, uh, you want to be able to uh, delegate some of the work, as you alluded to, to colleagues uh, and feel that, uh, and you want to ensure that it's not only one individual, so it's a, it's a team effort and people feel like they're empowered to to help you and assist you, and that will be reciprocated uh, when when others go away as well. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a team effort. You've got to have the mentality where uh, the work is going to continue, nothing is going to burn down at the office, and uh, the work is going to be there when you uh, when you return. So as long as resources are allocated appropriately, you should uh, have uh, that free guilty conscience to uh, to be able to take off and enjoy your time off. I, I think back to last summer. I was going on vacation in August, and uh, we, Haley, I actually remember this. I think I had booked a guest for the show, and on the Monday, I'd already gone on a vacation started Friday, right? And on the Monday, just while I was in line to get on my flight out of Vancouver, I did it. I, I checked my email and it just gave me so much anxiety. The guest canceled last minute. I was trying to arrange another guest to come in to fill yeah. in for that person. All while I was in the very long security lineup, you know, which is delightful as well. But it was just like, but the thing is I, I checked in on work and if I didn't, things would have gotten like really screwed up. So then I was kind of like happy I checked in, even though it created a lot mm -hmm. of anxiety for me. So it's, I don't know, Mike, it's a weird balance that we have. And maybe yeah. to a certain degree, like is ignorance bliss? Like, I mean, would that just be kind of a better strategy for me going forward? No, you know, I think as long as you're, you got that balance as well. I think that even personally, uh, when I take off, I, I try to be really focused and saying, you know what, I'm going to dedicate uh, 15 to 20 minutes a morning to address any 911s. Uh, so for me, I probably have the same guilty conscience as, as you, or I, I feel almost anxious throughout my whole trip if I didn't check uh, my emails. And it's not because I don't trust my team. I have a tremendous team across British Columbia, but it, you still want to have that reassurance where, hey, if there's something that can't be handled, you want to be able to, to address. So I, I, I think it's the key is finding that balance and, and being committed to it. But by knowing that the alternative of being plugged in, you know, seven days a week, 24-7, uh, I think it's more critical and there's a likelihood, uh, likelihood chance that you'll end up being burned out, which is not a place where you want to be. Uh, hey, Haley, can I ask you a question, though? I mean, very recently, you were on an extended kind of work slash vacation yeah. trip. And I'm just wondering how you found that balance. Because I, I think, if I recall correctly, you were 
uh, working for about three weeks and then you took like one week off. Is that correct? That was the plan. Okay. That but... was not the reality. <laughs> okay. So then what, what happened with you during that uh, trip? I So I worked, it was pretty constant. The thing was, there was such a time difference that my evenings over there, and I was in Singapore and Southeast Asia, were sort of prime working hours and mornings back home in Vancouver. So mm-hmm. I sort of had two jobs. I was doing my work while I was abroad and then handling email, making sure that guests were booked for the show, handling anything that came up in my evenings. And I still did some work and checked my phone when I was on quote unquote vacation. So I, I never once unplugged, <laughs> although I certainly enjoyed myself. Sure, sure. But I mean, it, it's a tough balance, Mike, like you were saying. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned too the importance of managers, executives leading by example. Is it possible for senior executives who are responsible for many people, maybe multiple departments, to truly unplug and leave if they're a key player in an organization? I think at the executive level, you're you're always going to be uh, connected but or reachable, I would say. I think you're not going to be potentially getting back to uh, your teams in terms of some of the day-to-day. I think that if you do a good job, and, and I think from an executive or, or a senior leadership perspective, it's such a great opportunity to take advantage when, when, you're, when you're thinking about um, cultivating succession planning or um, empowering your, your teams to take on more responsibility. That's almost the opportunity to do so. Uh, so I think that, you know, for 911s, of course, you're going to be reachable via telephone. Uh, but for a lot of the day-to-day activities and operational uh, I think you can you can delegate some of that work um, down to uh, to your teams. I, I think the one thing to my benefit, though, is when I go on vacation, it's oftentimes outside of Canada, and data mm-hmm. plans are are so bad you know, mm-hmm. and so expensive <laughs> that uh, I, I, if I only have you know a select amount of data to actually use while I'm down there. Maybe I, I do stay away from the phone more often than I would otherwise. So I we, we've got that going for us, right? That happened to me in Southeast Asia yeah. too. Really poor island Wi-Fi was all uh, I had. Okay, okay. So I could only check a couple times a day. All right. So maybe there's some solutions being imposed on us against our will to a certain degree. Okay. Well, Mike, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. That's Mike Sheckman. He is Regional Vice President, British Columbia, over at Robert Half Canada. Thank you for listening to BIV today. Tell your friends to subscribe and leave us five stars on iTunes. Meanwhile, you can find our stories in print and online at BIV.com.